Core the Bible podcast number 117, the biblical calendar and Yom Teruah, the day of trumpets. Welcome once again to the Core the Bible podcast. My name is Steve, and I'm your host in reviewing the key focal points in the biblical narrative. Now, lately, we've been reviewing some of the bigger key doctrines in the Bible. However, for today and the next several weeks, we're going to be returning to the biblical calendar as we are, at the recording of these podcasts, about to enter the fall season of the biblical year. But before we jump into the first of the fall holidays, Yom Teruah, I would like to quickly recap why I feel it's imperative for believers today to understand the biblical calendar and the feast days. Now, most Christians today do not recognize or celebrate the biblical feast days. Yet the biblical calendar is filled with symbolism of the kingdom and God's relationship with his people. I believe it's as we maintain recognition of these days that we can be reminded of God's and our purpose. And just as the recurring physical seasons bring annual holidays and traditions to remembrance, these biblical days become recurring practical object lessons that point to the totality of God's work among his people and his presence in this world. The annual biblical calendar contains seven special times known in Hebrew as modim, meaning seasons or appointed times. And I believe the annual biblical holidays are the true appointments with God, the seasonal modim that he has established for all eternity. And they're centered around three central feasts or festival gatherings, unleavened bread, weeks or shavuot, and tabernacles or sukkot. And these occur in the first, third, and seven months of the annual biblical calendar. In Deuteronomy 16, it says, All your males are to appear three times a year before Yahweh your God in the place he chooses, at the festival of the unleavened bread, first month, the festival of weeks, that's the third month, and the festival of tabernacles in the seventh month. Interestingly, these festival gatherings follow the agrarian timelines of the early barley harvest, the first month, the early wheat harvest in the third month, and the ingathering of all the remaining crops in the seventh month. And all of these festivals surround God's provision for his people. These three annual gathering seasons focus on seven appointed times, which are described as memorials or reenactments, which I believe are to be used to keep God's people focused on his will and his purpose. I also find it fascinating that God has placed these appointments on the annual calendar in a way that can still be recognized today, even though worldly calendars and methods of timekeeping have come and gone. I believe this is why they are described in the Bible the way they are, and why we are still able to keep those appointments with him today. So, how are we to keep these appointments? Well, certainly we're not to sacrifice animals, as all sacrifice and temple service has been fulfilled in Messiah. However, on these special days, we can still gather together as his people to review the symbolism of those days to bring greater awareness to our understanding of our relationship with God. Whether it's through deeper fellowship and community among his people, as well as renewing our total devotion to him and consummation in his service, we can become serious about our faith by living it out as object lessons that others can see and learn from as well. After all, as you may know from previous episodes, I believe that God's Torah or word is eternal and therefore has lasting influence on those who approach the God of the Bible as his people. 
And these should be as much a part of our doctrinal understanding as any other major proposition, such as the study of who God is or the kingdom of God. So when viewed from this perspective, the biblical calendar becomes an annual reminder of God's dealings with his people, Israel, from beginning to end. And while the story isn't necessarily about us directly, we find ourselves in that story when we come to know Yahweh and his son, Yeshua the Messiah. So, with that basic understanding restated, we can now begin to take a look at our focus for the next several weeks, the fall festivals. In this time, the biblical calendar now starts its second cycle, the autumn cycle. And by its very nature, the autumn cycle is the antithesis of the spring cycle. Spring themes are about new beginnings and ripening crops. Autumn themes are about endings and harvests. Just as the end of the harvest looks forward in hope to the beginning of the crop season in the next year, so the end of the autumn cycle looks forward in hope to the beginning of existence in the next reality. So the first of the fall holidays is known as Yom Truah, which literally means a day of horn blasts or shouts. In Numbers 29, it's described this way. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no regular work. It's a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. Well, this is how the day has come to be known as the feast or festival of trumpets. But the phrase used here in the Hebrew is Yom Truah, the day of blasting noise, not necessarily a word describing trumpets per se. Truah is a word that describes a severely loud noise when a trumpet or horn or even someone shouting would make. Taking the word back to its root meaning, it means to mar, especially by breaking, or figuratively to split the ears with sound. Now, this is a curious development. If we review the parallel description of this day in Leviticus 23, it's described there as, quote, a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blasting noise, a holy convocation. The day is described in that place as zikron trua, a memorial of an accompanying blast or horn-like noise. So let's read that in Leviticus 23. It says, Again Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to Yahweh. Interestingly, today this simple instruction from Yahweh has been changed from its scriptural meaning into what the Jews traditionally call Rosh Hashanah, or New Year's Day. On this day, there are mournful blasts of shofarim, that is, trumpet-like horns made of actual animal horns, which are blown throughout the land to signal the coming of the new civil year. Now, if this is different than what was originally intended by Yahweh, then how did this come about? Well, it seems that Jewish tradition of this day is based on a different passage of scripture, which also has significant meaning, but it's different than that which is expressed as we've just seen in Numbers 29. The passage in question is Leviticus 25, and it says this, You shall count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, and there shall be to you the days of seven Sabbaths of years, even forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. 
You shall make the fiftieth year holy and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee to you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family. So this instruction specifically concerns the announcing of the year of jubilee, which was to be done once every 50 years. Now, if you've listened to the podcast on Shavuot or the Festival of Weeks, you may recall that we discussed the symbolism of the Jubilee that was also represented numerically in the 50th day after Passover. However, because of this scriptural declaration of the Jubilee being counted during the Fall Festival, Jewish sages adopted the tradition of counting the civil calendar year from the first day of the seventh month in the fall, while also simultaneously counting the religious calendar year beginning on the first day of the first month in the spring. As if their calendar based on both the lunar and the solar cycles wasn't complicated enough already. So as can be seen in the Leviticus 25 passage, the horns were not supposed to be blown on the first day of the seventh month, which is when Rosh Hashanah is recognized today, but they were to be blown on the tenth day of the seventh month, which is the Day of Atonement. And we're going to be looking at the significance of the Day of Atonement in the next episode. So be sure to listen in there if you'd like to find out more about that pivotal day in the biblical calendar. So if Jews were to be consistent with what Scripture says, they should be proclaiming New Year not on the first day of the seventh month, but on the Day of Atonement, which is the tenth day. And they shouldn't be doing it every year, only once every 50 years. So... All of this is to say that the current traditional practice of Jews celebrating the beginning of the new year on the first day of the seventh month is tradition only and is not biblically accurate, although it is based in the writings in the Talmud. It's a strong and unyielding tradition that has been celebrated among rabbinic Judaism since about the second century AD. So, if Yom Teruah, or the Day of Trumpets, is not about the beginning of the new year, What does it signify, and why is it important for us to know this today? Well, Yom Teruah represents the themes of reminder and proclamation with loud noise. It's a call to action, a preparation of repentance, and a reminder to be obedient to the ways of God. This is to be a day which memorializes a loud blasting noise that could have potentially split the ears with sound. Well, is there such a day recorded for us in Israel's history? When surveying the experiences of the ancient Israelites, for an instance where there was a loud blast or trumpet-like sound of alarm that they should be reminded of, one experience shared by the entire nation stands out above all the others. The presence of God at Sinai. In Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19, we read the following. It says, So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes, and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud shofar sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. In verse 16, the sound heard that day is described as chazak, meaning mighty or sharp or loud. 
In verse 19, it's said to have grown louder and louder, literally meaning it traversed the entire assembly, growing even mightier and louder as Yahweh descended in fiery smoke upon Mount Sinai. In fact, this event is so pivotal in the history of Israel that even to this day, this event at Sinai is the cornerstone of contemporaneous Jewish belief and identity. It's known throughout the world through the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. This demonstrates how that sharp, blasting, penetrating sound like a mighty shofar from 3,500 years ago has changed all of history and continues to influence the majority of the world to this very day. In the Exodus narrative, we learn that the presence of God on Sinai with this shofar blast was the occasion in which he himself spoke the Ten Commandments, or Ten Words, to the entire nation at once. Because the force and sound of the words were so frightening, perhaps so loud as to have been considered ear-splitting, the Israelites begged Moses as their representative to go and speak with God himself and then bring the information back to them so they could be spared having to listen to God speak directly to them. God then delivered to him the Ten Commandments, which became the cornerstone of the covenant that the people made with God in that day. So the piercing, mighty, shofar-like sound is the central symbol of this day. The sound at Sinai was not the sound of a man-made trumpet as we might think of the musical instrument today, but the plaintive cry of a type of sounding instrument made from the animal horn of a ram, known in Hebrew as a shofar. In Exodus 19.16 it says, So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, a very loud trumpet or shofar sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. This shofar sound was so penetrating it shook the people to their core. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament refers to it as an event that even Moses himself feared. In Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 21, it says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a shofar, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. So on this annual appointment day, the shofar is sounded as a reminder, a memorial of the importance of God's instruction, his Torah, which was summarized in the Ten Commandments. The trumpet represents God appearing on Sinai and announcing his standards of conduct for his covenant people. They were to be his physical kingdom representatives on earth, and this was the outline of their constitution. This kingdom of God was about to become a physical reality on the earth, and they were expected to be obedient to his ways and to abandon the ways of Egypt and the surrounding nations. This horn blast was a symbol of awe to remind them of God's power and majesty, which was to have brought them to self-reflection and repentance. In the same way, this day should be for us a memorial of that same event, as if we were standing at the foot of that fiery, quaking mountain, a shofar-like blast piercing through our bodies amidst the deafening peals of thunder at the awesome sound of God's voice. Remember the voice of God. This is what the day is for. On that day, he spoke his Torah, his instruction, in the declaration of those ten phrases we've come to know as the Ten Commandments. So the spring festivals of the biblical calendar cover the events of the Exodus from Egypt to Sinai. 
and it was there at Sinai that they received the charter of the kingdom, setting them free from the tyranny of worldly slavery. The fall festivals pick up at that same event, not as a declaration of freedom, but as a reminder of God's awesome power and majesty and as a call to repentance and renewal. The fall feasts then continue the Exodus story through discussion of atonement and the miraculous provision of God through their wilderness journeys while they lived in tents or Sukkot. It culminates on the feast of the eighth day, signifying the arrival into the promised land and eternal inheritance. In Hebrews 12, we read the following, which was written to believers in the first century. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a shofar and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So what's the application we can take away from all of this information? On this day of Yom Trua, we are to remember the voice of God and to not refuse Him who spoke on that day. We are to be mindful of those Ten Commandments, to be repentant of our failings in those things, and remain in awe and reverence of the might and all-consuming power of God. Just like the earthly kingdom that was established that day on Sinai, the eternal kingdom that began with Yeshua is continuing to become an expanding reality within each generation. We are expected to be obedient to God's ways and to abandon the ways of Egypt, that is the world, in order for the kingdom to grow. We are to be God's kingdom representatives on earth, following the patterns and principles of His instruction, His Torah, as our constitution of faith and practice. The whole biblical calendar is a testimony to the faithfulness of God in bringing His people to Himself. It's a type and shadow of the work of Messiah in leading His faithful remnant out of worldly religion into the eternal kingdom of God. And this is a process which continues to this day and is prophesied to continue until it fills the earth. So as we view this seasonal moed or appointed time of Yom Trua, we can catch a glimpse of its renewed nature and purpose in the symbolism of its biblical parameters. That ear-splitting shofar blast of the voice of God on Sinai declared the eternal nature of the kingdom of God summarized in only ten phrases. Just as Yeshua taught, this was to be a kingdom based on the structure of those Ten Commandments as both a near and present reality, a realm where vigilance would be required of those who sought to participate. These believers would be set apart and holy, trusting God for all of their needs, just as Yeshua did, and they would operate with God's characteristics of forgiveness and compassion, demonstrating that they are the children of God. Well, I hope this introduction to the fall festivals of the biblical calendar brought you some concepts and ideas to meditate on and to study out further on your own. 
But remember, if you have thoughts or comments that you'd like to explore further with me, feel free to email me at coreofthebible at gmail.com. And if you happen to be listening on YouTube, please leave your thoughts and comments below. And if you like what you're hearing and want to help spread the core of the Bible message, then please like this video as it will then be recommended to more and more people. And be sure to visit coreofthebible.org for all of the podcasts on our podcast page there. Once again, thanks for joining me today. As always, I hope to be invited back into your headphones in another episode to come. Take care. Take care.